0: Peter began his second letter by pointing us to Jesus and reminding us of all that we have been given by him. We looked at this last week. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. "...through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust." Christ has given us everything we need physically and spiritually for living and for becoming like him. He has made it possible for us to live godly lives and escape the corruption that comes from yielding to the lust that permeates a sinful world. In short... He has given us everything we need to become like him. But that change does not come automatically or without effort on our part. You know, if you were given a full-ride scholarship to a top-rated university, one you could never afford... That scholarship would do you no good unless you applied yourself diligently to your studies and made the grades by a lot of hard work on your part. Well, in a similar way, God has given us an undeserved chance to make something of ourselves. He has paid our tuition promised room and board, and has given us the ability to succeed. By faith, we've accepted his offer and are trusting him to do his part. But we also understand that we have to do our part. And Peter makes this very clear in what he says next. Now, for this very reason also, Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence, knowledge and in your knowledge, self-control and in your self-control, perseverance and in your perseverance, godliness and in your godliness, brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren... Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Peter lists seven things we must practice if we would be perfect. If we would become partakers of the divine nature. Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. These things Peter says, we are to supply in our faith. Now, that is a bit confusing because he's already said Christ gives us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. So what does Peter mean when he says we are to supply these things in our faith? Well, it helps when we learn that the word translated supply also means to furnish or to provide for. And that it was used by someone who supplied the needs of a chorus that accompanied a theatrical production. The patron didn't supply abilities to the choir members. He didn't give them their voices But he did give them a stage on which they could display what had been given to them. And he provided encouragement for them to further develop what they had been given. Now, Christ has given us what we need to become like him. But like the patron, we have to supply the faith to get on the stage. And put into practice what he has given us. Sanctification has been defined as a work of God in which believers cooperate. God has freely given us everything we need to share his divine nature. But we must supply the effort to put those characteristics into practice. To refuse to do so is to render ourselves useless and unfruitful. And to show ourselves blind and short-sighted to what he wants to accomplish in our life. So we have work to do. And the first thing we are to supply in our faith is moral excellence. You remember Peter said Christ called us. By his own glory and excellence. And it's that same excellence that we are to reflect in our lives. The word used in both places is the same. And refers to moral excellence or virtue. The NIV translates it goodness. But that seems too weak a word for me. Moral excellence is a commitment to doing that which is right, no matter the cost. Barclay even translates it courage, because it takes courage to do that which is right, at all times and in all circumstances. But that is what we are called to do. So do you do it? Is it your practice to always do the right thing? Or do you do the expedient thing, the convenient thing, the immediately gratifying thing, the easy thing? If you do, you have forgotten what it is your Lord has called you to do. He has called us to do the right thing. He expects us to practice moral excellence in every decision we make and in everything we do. It's not easy. But that is what he demands of us. And in order to do that, we not only have to be committed to doing the right thing, we have to know what the right thing is. So to our commitment to moral excellence, we must supply knowledge. You know, commitment to doing the right thing is meaningless if we don't know what the right thing is. And knowing what to do in each and every situation takes a lot of work, a lot of effort. It's not very often. That God just tells us what to do. I have never heard the audible voice of God. But he has spoken in his word. He has revealed to us everything we need to know to do his will. But we have to search it out. Paul told Timothy, That the scriptures were given that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. But the word of God does us no good if we don't read it, if we don't study it, if we don't seek to apply its principles to the situations we face. It never ceases to amaze me how many Christians claim to know the will of God without reading it and asking what would Jesus do is meaningless if we don't seek to know what Jesus has said we are to do. He hasn't left us in the dark. He has revealed his will for us in his word. But if we don't turn the light on that he's given to us, we are still in the dark. We are, as Peter said, blind. Or short-sighted. The word short-sighted also means to blink or to shut our eyes. And I'm afraid far too many of us simply close our eyes to the word of God because we don't want to know what it says. We would rather deceive ourselves into believing what we want to believe than to know. What he has actually said. Our commitment to moral excellence. However is hypocritical. If we refuse to walk in the light. He has given us. So to moral excellence we supply knowledge. And to knowledge. Self control. The only way. To really control self is to kill it. That may sound shocking. But that is exactly what we said we were doing when we allowed ourselves to be buried with Christ in Christian baptism. As Paul said in Romans 6, 6, our old self was crucified with him. That means killed. That our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. As long as we allow our passions and desires to dictate our behavior, we are slaves to sin. That is why we practice self-control. The word literally means the ability to take a grip of oneself. And Christ has given us the power to do that. In fact, self-control is listed among the fruit of the Spirit. But in order for the Spirit to take control, we must first Crucify the flesh and its passions and desires. And we can't just do that once. We have to consciously nail self to the cross daily. If we are to keep self under control. That's not easy. But we must persevere. So to our self-control... We supply perseverance. The word actually means to abide under, to hang in there to, no matter what. Now it's sometimes translated patience, but that almost seems too passive. It's not just enduring, it's persevering, it's pressing on, it's progressing. We have to commit ourselves to finishing the work God has started in our life. Not that we finish it by ourselves, but we do have a role to play in it. We have to fight the good fight. We have to finish the course. We have to keep the faith if we expect to receive the crown of righteousness. When Paul said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He wasn't saying, let go and let God. He was saying, I have a part to play in this. The power is from God, but I've got to do it. As Barclay said, in the Christian life, the supreme effort of man must cooperate with the grace of God. And it does take supreme effort of the will to persevere when we don't feel like it. We have to do it. And we know what it is we're striving for. We are to become partakers of the divine nature. We are to become like God. So our perseverance is empowered by the goal of of godliness Christ became what we are so we can become what he is through him we share in the divine nature we can become like god and that's what it is to be godly godliness is god likeness and we are to practice Godliness, we are to act like God. We are to do what he would do. We are to respond as he would respond. We are to think like he thinks. And this is possible. It is possible. After all, we were made in the image of God. Now, true, that image has been marred by sin. But Christ cleanses us of our sin He makes it possible for us to regain our godliness. He empowers us with His Spirit to do it. But we have a role to play in this as well. We have to consciously surrender to the Spirit within us. And we must diligently strive to do what His Spirit directs us to do. We have to work at becoming like God. But it can be done. Now, there is a danger in this. And that's that the tendency to begin thinking of ourselves as God. In doing so, we begin to exalt ourselves over others. And so, to godliness, we must supply brotherly kindness. We can't forget that we are all made in the image of God. We can't ignore our brothers and sisters or look down on them. It's true that God created us to have fellowship with himself, but he didn't just create one of us. He wants to fellowship with all his children, and he wants his children to fellowship with each other. A faith that becomes so personal that it cuts off relationships with other people, is not a faith that honors the Creator of us all. In our pursuit of moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness, we cannot forget our brothers and sisters or our obligations to them. In fact, the final virtue we are to practice is love. And yes, the word is agape. It's not an emotional thing. It's a positive act of the will to do for others what needs to be done, no matter the cost. And it's a love that can be commanded because it's not a feeling. It's an action. We are to love one another as He has loved us. And we can do that because He is the source of that love. We simply have to become a channel through whom His love flows. We become the supply line of His love to a world that desperately needs it. God is love and we are partakers of his divine nature. That means his love flows into us and then we let it flow through us in meaningful ways, expressing it as he would, as if he were walking on the earth in the flesh. Now. We do have to be careful here. Sometimes what seems to be the most loving thing to do actually does more harm than good to the one we think we're helping. And we must not allow the world to pressure us into showing love as it thinks we should. Jesus was often moved to compassion when faced with a specific need. And he did meet some physical needs. But he did not let the physical needs of the society in which he lived sidetrack him from the real reason he came to earth. Likewise, the church must never forget the primary commission it has been given. It must not get so caught up in doing good that it forgets the unique role it has been commissioned to play in the world. There are a lot of needs in the world. And many of those needs can be met by individuals or organizations. Or governmental agencies, but only the church can meet eternal needs. Now, James does warn us not to tell a brother or sister without clothing or in need of daily food, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, and not give them what is necessary for their body. But sharing God's love with others must go far beyond providing physical help. The church is the primary channel through which God's ultimate expression of love flows into the world today. And if we fail to meet that responsibility, we prove ourselves to be useless and unfruitful in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't let that happen. So we put love into practice. In fact, we practice all the virtues Peter set before us. Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, and brotherly kindness, as well as love. And if we do, Peter says we will never stumble. We'll never fall. For in the practice of these things, we become partakers of the divine nature. Now, obviously, we can't do this on our own. So he granted us everything we need. To become partakers of his nature. But we do have to put into practice the qualities he's given to us. We must supply the effort needed to put into practice what he has made possible. But as Peter makes abundantly clear, the entrance into the eternal kingdom. Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be supplied to us. We can't save ourselves. And we don't earn salvation by practicing these things. But we do have to do our part and put into practice what He has enabled us to do. Without Him, we would be nothing. Without him, we'd surely fail. But with Jesus, thank God, I'm safe.